Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Afternoon, everyone. If you could just turn to uh, Acts 25 and 26, please. I'll be reading from the ESV. Chapter 25. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem. Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the, before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. 
but when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man himself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with a great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunals and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing to define, uh, nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you, and especially before you, King Aquipa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Chapter 26. Paul's defense before Agrippa. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as I earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. A very lengthy portion of text. Hence the fact that we needed two readers, not just one. And two special readers at that. Abby and Sammy are getting married in two weeks' time. Please keep them in your prayers. And talking about prayers, should we take a minute just to pray? Father, thank you for just a wonderful privilege of being together, to be in your, for being your people together, not only with one another, as Pastor P said earlier, but Lord, with you. Thank you that our fellowship is not just one with another, but with you. Father, and with, and with the Lord Jesus. Father, we want to say thank you that you're not transcendent to the point where you're not imminent. You're both. You're high above the heavens. You're our Heavenly Father. But you're also here by your Spirit. Even the Lord Jesus, as it says in, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the one who walks in the midst of the churches writing letters to the churches, dealing with issues specific to the churches. And we thank you that you're here with us and you have something that you desire to say to us, your church, from your word. Please speak to us today. Lord, let this not just be instructional, but let it be transformational, Lord, we pray, so that we can begin to look more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, today's topic is the trial of multiple trials. The trial of multiple trials. How many of you are going through not just a trial, but you're going through multiple trials at the moment? Well, let's hope you can identify to some degree with this, and maybe the Lord might even encourage your heart. He may not 
take you out of the trial, you know. But he will definitely help you to get through the trial. He promises to be in the trial with you, with me, with us. He says, when you go through the fire, I'll be there, right? Now, coming back to the trials in a minute. <clears throat> Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, you know what? It feels like I've been here before. You know what they call that? They call it déjà vu. Apparently it's French, right? And it means, it means already seen. That's what déjà vu means. And it's the experience of feeling sure that one has already witnessed or experienced a current situation. You ever seen a film called Groundhog Day? See, Mark, Mark had done it earlier. I'm going to do it now. Show my age. I think it was about 1996. And it had a guy in there called Bill Murray, and he's a weatherman in this film. And he finds himself repeating the same thing day after day after day. He wakes up in the morning, looks at the clock, and he gets up and he goes to work, and he walks past the same people on the same street, going past the same shop, the same car. Groundhog Day. Well, as we consider this, Spare a thought for Paul, who finds himself reliving the same scenario again and again and again. Now, we did chapter 24 last week. Chapter 25 is very, very similar. So my aim is not to spend too much time in chapter 25 because of its similarity. But we're going to look at the content nonetheless. <clears throat> and so Paul is reliving this scenario. And it's trial after trial after trial. In chapter 23 before Claudius Lysias, even though it wasn't technically a judicial trial. In chapter 24 before Felix, that's last week. Here in chapter 25, he's going to be before who? Festus, thank you. And then also we're going to see him before Agrippa in chapter 26. Now, <clears throat> even though Paul's going through these trials, he's resolute. He's completely unselfish and he's focused on his unstoppable mission. I'm going to have to raise my voice even though I've got a bad sore throat. Because that speaker's not working. I say that speaker's not even there. That, that, that speaker's not working. So if, if you can help me, fellas, as much as you can, that would be appreciated. <clears throat> so Paul's resolute. And Paul's consistent and he's unstoppable in his mission, which is to declare the gospel whatever the circumstance. At the end of last week, we saw Felix the governor, <laughs> Felix the cat, remember, trying to extort money from Paul. And because he wanted to do the Jews a favor, he leaves Paul in prison in spite of his innocence. Now, it's an, it's an open prison, and Paul's friends are at liberty to visit and to meet his needs without hindrance. Two years have since passed. And there is now a new governor who has replaced Felix. And his name is Festus or Portius Festus. And in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 25, Festus leaves Caesarea and he travels up to Jerusalem. And upon arriving there, he meets up with the chief priests and the elders of the Jews who had previously, like two years ago, accused Paul. These Jewish leaders, they plead with, with, with Festus to bring Paul up to Jerusalem. Because Paul's left back in Caesarea, right? And they want the same, please, Festus, bring Paul up to Jerusalem for us so we can give him what? Another trial. 
Only because they've actually hatched a, a plan. They've hatched a plot to ambush Paul and kill him. I mean, these guys are not very imaginative, right? You'd think that after two years of, of, of thinking about, about Paul and his circumstances, that they would have come up with a better plan because that's what they tried to do two years ago, remember? The plan failed. Well, it's the same old dry plan they got, exactly the same thing as in chapter 23, but this time without an oath. Remember last time, the 40 assassins be like, yeah, we're going to get Paul and we're not going to eat until we kill him. Well, they don't say the eating part this time. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same group. It shouldn't be because they should be dead because they should not have eaten because they didn't eventually kill Paul. Anyway, and Festus says, well, he says, um, he says nah, I'm not going to bring Paul up to, 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 to Jerusalem. If you want to accuse him, verse 5, you have to come to Caesarea, says Festus. And lo and behold, they take him up on the offer. You'd think that they'd give up by now. They take him up on the offer and they travel back down to Caesarea again. Look at verse 7 of chapter 25. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem stood around with him, that is Paul, bringing many and serious charges against him. Notice charges that they could not what? They, they could not prove. Thank you. <clears throat> Groundhog Day again for Paul. Verse 8. Paul again argued in his defense. He says, neither against the laws of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. Remember last week? Neither the Roman Empire or even the law of Moses is at risk. If anything, both groups would be benefited by this message that Paul is, is communicating. Verse 9, but Festus, check it. Wishing to do the Jews a favor. Sound familiar? Just like Felix. He says to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? He'd be like, I mean, talk about double jeopardy. You know, that's when a person cannot be tried again for the same crime if previously acquitted. I mean... This ain't double jeopardy. This is triple jeopardy. I mean, you're supposed to be innocent un until proven guilty, right? Paul is guilty in spite of being proved innocent. Verse 10. But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and I've committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to, to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I'm not going to Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar, says Paul. Then Festus, verse 12, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now Festus is probably real glad you know what I'm saying, um, to get rid of Paul. I mean, Paul's just a pain in the, in, in, in the neck. Can you see that Festus is as blind as Felix, who is as blind as Tertullus from last week, who is as blind as the high priest, who is as blind as the other Jewish leaders, yet there is light for those who are blind and in darkness. There is light. 
And we're going to come back to that in a moment. In verse 13 through to 22, in, in steps another character or two. And it's King Agrippa and Bernice. Agrippa is Herod Agrippa from a line of successive Herods. Remember, we talked about that last week. And it's King Herod Agrippa. And he's a figurehead. He's ruling over the Jews, yet completely controlled by the Romans. He's a puppet king. And Bernice is his sister, which sounds a little ominous, because here's the king rolling around with his sister. It'd be a little bit like the film Gladiator. You saw the, 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 the Caesar in Gladiator, always rolling around with his sister. It just don't sound right. And it weren't right. In the film, it weren't right. And um, the historian Josephus accuses these, that is um, Agrippa and Bernice, of committing incest with each other, which was quite common in those days. Same time frame, right? So they come down, that is Agrippa and, and Bernice, they come down to congratulate Festus regarding his new appointment, right? And Festus then informs Agrippa regarding Paul's case. And he possibly would be partially in interested, that is Agrippa, in Paul's case, because Agrippa was part Jew, right? He was, he was mixed race. Also, more importantly, Paul's case had become a very important case. It was a complicated, major case by now. Festus says of Paul's accusers in verse 18 and 19, he says, Listen, Agrippa, when the accusers um, stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I would have supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain dead man called Jesus, who Paul asserted to be alive. I mean, their understanding might be twisted, but these rulers are hearing the gospel. Verse 22, then Agrippa said to Festus, boy, you know what? This sounds really interesting. I'd like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, that is, Festus says, tomorrow, you'll be able to hear him. Verse 23, so the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. <clears throat> Notice, this is a grand-scale royal event. The king is here. His quote-unquote queen is here. There's great spectacle and pageantry there's pomp and ceremony. There are military representatives, prominent men of the city, civil as well as political. I mean, there's bare distinguished guests up in the place, right? I mean, it's a, it's a big splash. And Festus, like the master of ceremonies, yeah, like the MC, he steps up to the mic. Verse 24. And Festus said in front of everybody, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, to Caesar, 
I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, that is to Caesar, therefore I've brought him before you all. And especially before you, O King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. Verse 27, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Acts 26. So <clears throat> Agrippa said to Paul, yeah, you have my permission to speak for yourself. Um, was in it? Paul. Speak for yourself. So then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Now this is the second time we see Paul stretch out his hand as he speaks to the crowd. Now this is the usual posture of orators or public speakers. The ancient statues are commonly made in this way with the right hand extended, right? Here is a, a, a statue of a, a gentleman called Cicero. He's a great ancient orator. You see him with his hand out? That's how they do. They clutch kind of their cloak or maybe a scroll and then they stick out their right hand. I mean, look, here's a more modern example, right? <clears throat> you might even see me raise my hand <laughs> once or twice this afternoon. Now, more importantly, let's look at what Paul has to say. Verse 2. I consider myself fortunate, that is, that, that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Unlike most Romans who regarded um, these customs of the Jews as superstitious... Agrippa was more understanding and he was respectful, as I mentioned earlier, given his background and his heritage, he's part Jewish. Verse 4, Paul says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. Paul says, I'm not a fake. He says, I'm not a fraud. He says, forevermore, I'm not a fly-by-night. These men standing here, they know this. They knew me as a Jew. They knew me as a faithful Jew. Right here, right here in Jerusalem. And not only that, but I was a special type of Jew. Verse 5. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, which they're not because of their pride, right? They have known for a long time that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. See, Paul had credentials. Paul went to Oxford, if you like. He went to one of the most prestigious universities in the city of Jerusalem. And he studied under one of the most famous teachers, even to this day. Who did he study under? Gamaliel, Paul says, they knew. They knew my manner of life, my opinions, my principles and my conduct. And the thing is, they still know. 
verse 6. And now I stand here again on trial. Why? Because of my hope. Because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've got me here again, going over the same old thing. He says, the promise to which I, it's not like you don't know. The promise which our, our forefathers, the 12 tribes, hoped to attain. As they, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, this hope that we both share, that we both ought to share, I'm accused by Jews, O king. See? Why is it thought incredible to any of you that God would raise the dead? At this point, you could probably hear a pin drop. Why is it thought incredible by any of you, any of you religious like crew? It's not, it's not surprising to you Jews. Agrippa, you're part Jewish. It shouldn't be surprising to you that God would raise the dead. Even you Romans, even you like hard body, hard back sinners up in there, just, you're just here for the wine and just here for the carousing. Even you, it wouldn't seem strange to you that God would raise the dead. Why? Appreciating that God has made man in his image and his likeness for a purpose. Not just to live on this earth in this secondary level of existence. There's a greater purpose. Surely you know that. And that purpose is not concluded at death. It's not accomplished. It's not finished. It's not completed. It's not concluded at death. Does that sound strange? What would sound strange is that there is no life beyond death. That would, that would sound strange. Verse 9. I myself was convinced, as a Pharisee that is, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is my BC days, Agrippa. Back then, oh my gosh. I mean, I know exactly how these Jews, how these guys are feeling. I used to do what they are now doing. And I used to do it with great passion. And he says, and I did it where they do it. Verse 10, I did so in Jerusalem. See, this ain't, none of what I'm telling you is a surprise. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, who possibly are standing right here, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Remember Stephen? And I punished them, often, verse 11, in all the synagogues. That is, not just the ones in Jerusalem. You, I persecuted these Christians beyond Jerusalem. And tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I mean, I was on this thing. You look, 
You lot ain't you lot ain't on this thing. You lot ain't on it like I was on it. I mean, I set pace. Some of you ain't even been outside of Judea, let alone Samaria or Galilee. I mean, I went outside of Israel, outside of Jewish jurisdiction. I was a lunatic. I mean, I was serious. You don't ain't serious. I used to go, he says, look, I used to go as far as places like where? Verse 12. Damascus. That's way up north. That's like, it's like Lebanon. Lebanon, is Damascus in Lebanon? I never checked it out. But it's far, it's further north than Galilee. Trust me. Damascus. Verse 12. With the authority and commission of the chief priests. I used to be on mission because I was commissioned. And I was faithful to my mission. There's something about Paul that doesn't change. I was faithful to the commission and the authority of the chief priests who, who were standing right here who are accusing me. And the thing is, I did it because I was blind. I couldn't see. And that's the same reason why these men are standing here accusing me here today. They can't see. They're blind. They grope around in, in the darkness and they cannot see the light. And they might be able to see Agrippa. They might be able to see physically, but they can't see spiritually. And genuinely, sometimes you have to be blinded physically in order that you might be able to see spiritually. This was Paul's testimony, right? On the very way to Damascus, look at verse 13. At midday, O king, See how Paul just nicely, just, you know what I'm saying, moves into his testimony. Nicely. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Not just a regular light, it was a heavenly light. A light from heaven. How do I know? Because it was, what time? At the beginning of verse 13. Midday. See, it was midday, yet at the, at the brightest time of the day, this light from heaven was brighter than the sun. Brighter, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Verse 14, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, because that was his name before he was converted, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? When it's, it's so hard for you to kick against the goads. Now this is the third time this is being repeated in this book. That is Paul's testimony and this issue of the pricks or the goads. What is Paul doing at this point in his testimony? He's kicking against the goads. I think I showed a picture similar to this last time, but it was one of those illegal pictures. You know the one where they got writing all sprawled across the middle, so you're not supposed to use it. So I had to change that one, <laughs> find a legal one. 
See, the picture of kicking against the goads would be that of an ox pulling a plow. The goads or the pricks were sharp barbs at the very end of the whip, which would be used to steer and to direct the ox. Don't be stubborn like the ox, the scripture says. Because if you do, the farmer will draw for the whip. He will draw for the pricks. Draw for the goads on you. See, the more the ox resisted, the more pain would be inflicted. The sensible option is to obey the master's whip. So the Lord is asking, why Paul? Why are you resisting? I'm trying to get you to go in one direction and you just want to affirm it. You're only injuring yourself. Why? These Jewish leaders who are persecuting Paul, do they not sense the Lord's whip? Tear, that, that's tearing at their... That, 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 that didn't sound very convincing. <laughs> but the whip... The Lord's like, don't you feel the whip tearing at your conscience? Yet, they resist. As you sit here this afternoon, do you continue to affirm it in your sin? Unwilling to respond. Yet, you cannot deny that you're kicking against the pricks. You're only injuring yourself. I mean, does, can anybody agree against that point and say, sin is wonderful? I mean, it is, right? But like Moses said, only for a season. And you don't have to wait until you die and go to hell to experience that sin ain't really that funny. It's not really that enjoyable. You don't even have to wait till then. Sin is wrecking, it's, it's wreaking havoc. In so many people's lives right now. I mean, how many of us as believers can testify to the fact that, you know what? Listen, sin nearly, nearly wrecked my life. See, what will it take for you to respond? Well, for Paul, it took God flooring him. Putting him on his face in the dirt. I hope it doesn't take that for us. But not only does God floor him and get his attention, <clears throat> he also blinds him, right? From Acts 9, it's clear that at this point in Paul's testimony, Paul has lost his sight physically. But how many of you know he gained his sight spiritually? Verse 15, and, and I said, I mean, Paul's real humbled at this point. I said, wow, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. Now, this is unusual. Listen carefully. Rise and stand upon your feet. You have to remember, up to this point, Paul is the opposite to being a Christian. But at this point, the Lord says, rise and stand up on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen 
me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, this sounds strange. In verse 15 through 18, we see something stunning. Not only does the Lord Jesus save Paul, but he commissions him in the same moment. The call to salvation is also a call to service. You know, we kind of don't really, sometimes we don't really realize that. You know, when we did, like, I remember when I got saved, I got saved in 1989. And when I got saved, I mean, I realized that I was a sinner. I didn't really need the preacher to remind me as I went to this church on that particular day with my girlfriend at the time. I didn't need the preacher to tell me that I was a sinner. I knew that. But he reminded me, but he also reminded me that there was going to be a day when I would be judged. Hebrews 9. It is appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. And I was like, okay. But then also the fact that if, because of my sin, I was found guilty, I would be separated from God for eternity. And he had my attention. That is the preacher at that point. But then he talked about the grace of God, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God, in spite of my sinfulness, and pointed to the cross and showed me where Jesus actually kindly took my punishment for me. And, and on that basis was now offering me forgiveness. I was like, this is too good to be true. And as I'm coming to my senses, my, my girl, Helen, my wife now, she's up the front praying. And the, you heard me tell the story a few times, so I won't go into it. And my brethren who I went there with for some kind of moral support, I look up and he's gone. He's up the front. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm not trying to go hell on my own. So I went up the front and, and, and ended up praying and asking God to forgive me. Baby prayer, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. Please forgive me, Lord. And that day was the first day of the rest of my life. My life has never been the same since that day. But I mention that because some of us have that experience. And it's, and it's reminiscent of, wow, the Lord forgave me on that day. And I got saved. I became a child of God. He brought me into his family. I was adopted, right? But then it takes some of us a year, sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 years to now say, oh, wow, I'm saved, but I'm saved for a reason, for a purpose. Well, apart from just going to heaven, wow, oh, God, you want me to do something? Well, I hear you. It's all good. After all that you've done for me, it's nothing. I need to do something. You know what I mean? In response. Not trying to earn or pay for my salvation, but in response to the fact that you've been so good to me, yo. But you see, what, what I'm trying to communicate here is that at the point you get saved, you are actually in that moment also called to serve. In that, in, in that same instant. The call to salvation is also a call to service. The call, to, the call of deliverance is also a call to discipleship. Going into that would be too much to deal with in one afternoon, based on the fact that we've got two chapters to deal with. But the point is, Paul is surrounded, check it, 
Paul is surrounded by leaders and officers, by procurators, governors, and the king. And they all understand what it means to be commissioned. I mean, when the king says, all right, you go over there and do this. When he says jump, you say how high. He understands that. Just like the centurion, remember when he was with the Lord Jesus and he, and he needed his servant healed and the Lord was kind of making to go and he says, you don't even have to come to my yard. Just say the word. Why? Because, I'm a, because I understand authority and you're a man in authority. I'm a centurion. When I, tell that, when I tell that Roman soldier to go do, he better move fast. And my authority is nothing compared to yours. Lord, just speak the word and it's done. I'm saying these procurators and these individuals who are here, as Paul says, I was commissioned by God. He's not even harping so much on his salvation and the fact that he's been redeemed at this point. He's trying to say to them, yo, I've got a commission, fam. You think I'm out here like joking? I'm on a mission. And they would all be like, hmm, okay. Saying so, boy, it must be some heavyweight authority that's caused you to say you're on such a mission that you're prepared to stand in front of us in spite of the accusations of these Jews on your mission. Huh? Why it must be some mission? I suppose at that point, some are saying, I'm kind of feeling that mission. Maybe I should join you on this mission. And it's true, because we're going to see it in a minute. And Paul has been, Paul has been commissioned. They all understand what it means to be commissioned. And Paul has been commissioned by Jesus, who is God. And Paul is being faithful. Faithful to his kingly commission. This would warmly resonate with this whole gathering. Paul goes on to further explain his kingly commission in verse 18. And it's to do what? To open their eyes. That is, help them to see. That is, to heal them of their blindness. That is, to grant them the ability to appreciate, to understand, to be cognizant, to comprehend, to recognize and to realize. Paul's mission was to help people to open their eyes. Notice, so that they may do what? See, it's one thing having your eyes open, you know, but you ain't done nothing yet. You just, you just can now see clearly. But his encouragement is then to do what? So that, they may, so, so that they may turn. It's where we get our word repent. It means you're going in one direction, doing your own thing, and then you come across some new information. You'll be like, whoa, like me, October 1989, like, whoa, man. I'm on this bus thinking this guy in Peckham, this bus is taking me to Elephant. I need to... You see, somebody come on the bus and said, this bus is... You're gonna, what are you going to do? You want to go one place, you jump off the bus, don't you? You jump off the bus and you cross over the road and you start getting in the opposite direction. You turn. That's if you realize you're going in the wrong direction. That is if you, if you have your eyes opened. You can be sitting on the bus with your eyes wide open. I'm going in the wrong direction. Until somebody gives you that, that clarity, right? So he says, listen, God has sent me to open eyes so that once they're open, the eyes of these individuals 
that person might turn and turn notice from what? From darkness to light. And look how he explains darkness and light. Now, half of the room just got distracted, so let me say that again. Notice how he explains darkness and light, which are just metaphors. Right? And all the, all the MCs, all the rappers said, amen. He says, <clears throat> I want to turn them from darkness to light, which is from the power of Satan to God. See, this wasn't just descriptive of intellectual enlightenment. But this is conversion. I mean, sometimes we rubbish the word. We say, oh, you know what? The Lord ain't trying to make converts. He's trying to make disciples. Yes, it's true. But a disciple starts off being a disciple by being first converted. It's what Jesus said to Peter. Remember when Peter was like, I never deny you, Lord. I've told this story a million times, so I'm not going to long it. I never deny you, Lord. Lord, like, yeah, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. But Jesus says to him, Peter, look, once you're converted, yeah, he says, Simon, 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 Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But he says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith fails not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brothers. Conversion ain't a bad word, but it don't stop at conversion. Conversion. It's a, and check it. Here in the context, it's, it's not just, oh, I'm going to change the way that I think and metaphorically turn around and go in another direction. It's bigger than that. See? It's, if, we, if we take that same analogy... It's, it's transferring from one place to another place. It's a transfer from one kingdom to another different kingdom. It's a transfer from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. And it's a real kingdom. And he's, he's a king with real subjects. He's, he's a king with subjects that are completely and utterly devoted to him. Even unwittingly so, even unknowingly so, committed and dedicated to the fervorance of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom that Satan rules over. Don't tell me I'm lying. But you see, this is a transfer out from that kingdom into a new kingdom, into another kingdom, and it's to the kingdom of light as opposed to darkness. And it's the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of the devil. Amen? See, and it's a real transfer. If you have not repented of your sin and received forgiveness based on the sacrifice of Christ, you are a servant slash slave in the kingdom of darkness and Satan is your master. If you, on the other hand, have repented, you've turned away from your sin and you've received forgiveness based on the sacrifice of Christ, you are a saint slash servant in the kingdom of God. You're in one of these two places, 
And there are only two. In Colossians chapter 1, it puts it beautifully. You probably thought about it as I've been saying it. Colossians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 12 to 14, Paul says, Giving thanks to the Father, it's only right to do so. Why? Because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in what? In light. He, not us, not we ourselves, he, not the pastor, he, not the pope, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Check it, the domain of darkness and transferred us. You see that? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, we go and we, we watch films like, um, what's that trilogy that done really well a few years ago? Not The Matrix. The one about the, which one? Lord of the Rings. I was going to ask Tim because I know that's his favorite, right? <laughs> like, I don't even know because, you know, I haven't even watched it. No, tell a lie. Did I? I think I watched the first one and it was so boring. I didn't, <laughs> sorry, sorry, bro. Different strokes for different folks in it. But someone said to me, yeah, oh, you should watch the third one. The third one's the best one or something like that. But we watch films like this that take us somewhere, take us into the realm of, a, of another dimension. You know what I mean? And we watch these things and we're caught up in, you know, Shabazz is someone who, you know what I'm saying, is able to think like this because he understands that we love for an hour and a half or two hours to be taken somewhere. You know what I mean? And it's real. We all understand and appreciate it. But then there's always an anticlimax. Because it's just a film. When will we realize that is those of us that are believers who are actually individuals who are members of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. When will we realize that this is reality? And we can actually live this reality that people who don't understand this reality only live in a pseudo-reality. Be like, what do they call them things when you put on the goggles and you go into some chamber? Virtue. The, the stuff that people are enjoying, quote-unquote, in this life is only virtual reality. Yet we have the... See, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's beloved son, Christ Jesus, in whom we have, it's beautiful, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can't leave that out. Another translation says, he has translated us. Like Philip, you remember Philip? When he was translated from one place to another, he's, he's here right now and... Just like Scotty beam me up. You lot seen Star Trek? See Star Trek's old. You can't even use them old analogies. People ain't with you. But then some of you are with me. Amen, Diane. Amen. But um, they had this thing where Scotty would put, oh my gosh, remember Scotty would pull out like, it looked like a mobile phone. It was called a phaser. You know what I mean? And then he, no, is it the phaser used to shoot people with, innit? He used to bring out this, he used to put, was it a transponder? Transporter. He used to pull out this thing, look like this, yeah? And when he used to pull it out, He'd be like, he talked to someone up there like, Scotty, like, I need to get out of here, beam me up. And he'd be there, and all of a sudden you'd see, all, he'd begin to shiver and quiver, and all of a sudden he'd disintegrate and disappear. You're like, ooh. I mean, it's funny, even as I think about that, 
I think about like mobile phones and the fact that back then, we never had no mobile phones back then. I mean, there was no 07956, like the, the, the early, it wasn't even T-Mobile back in them days. It was one-to-one. -one. You get me? What? And I think that must have been the only network. No, and Vodafone. You know what I mean? And it's like, back then, I'm talking about back before them, what, the Sony Ericsson. Remember the little Sony Ericsson with the bent-up aerial? Before that phone, there was no mobile phones. Mobile phones is a new thing. And so when my man pulled out that thing, it was like, ooh. And it's funny because I, I, thought, I thought about this the other day, the fact that we are really, like, we're hurtling towards the end of time. How many of you know time is just moving so quickly? You know what I mean? And I think in Daniel it makes reference, I don't know if it's a direct reference, to the fact that in the last days knowledge will increase. And it evidently has. I, mean, I, I could kill you with the statistics, but we ain't got time. But my point is, things have changed. And now that things have changed, it's like we look back and I think about the fact that on that same Star Trek thing, when my man pulled out his thing, check it. When, when, when I read about prayer and the fact that I can talk to someone that I can't see, before mobile phones, that could be something hard to... Are you talking to someone? You can't even see God. Where is God? How can you pray? You know that man used to say them kind of things. Well, man, don't say that. They don't bring that one out when you're witnessing in Brixton High Street no more. <laughs> or how can you pray to someone you can't see? You'd be like, fam, I talk to people all, the, all day that I don't see. <laughs> On my mobile, like what? And I'm saying it seems like technology is catching up now with reality, in a sense. God's going to cut it short still. You know what I mean? But, so my man, back to the story, my man, Philip is translated, he's in one place at one point. One, two. One minute he's in one place and the next minute he's in another. Just tra he's translated. But that's what this says is happening to us or happens to us when you... I'm overcooking it, innit? See, this is why I always go over time. <clears throat> innit, Pastor P? So he's translated us, he's given us a place in the kingdom of his son. And that's what the ESV says at the end of verse 18. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place, check it, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it's the transfer from one dimension to another. Lord, help us. And as I said before, there are only two kingdoms. You're either in one or the other. The difference between the two is being blind or being able to see. Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient, you know, to the heavenly vision. You get a commission from someone like God and I can't lie, I'm down. When God said this, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. Perm Performing deeds in keeping with their decision. 
keeping with their repentance, keeping with their turning. I'm looking for the sign and I can't get it. All right then, amen. See, Paul keeps banging out the gospel. Some of you in here, your, your FIFA bang outs or your COD, Call of Duty bang out. Paul is a gospel bang out. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Don't worry. It's cryptic, like the parable of the fig tree or the book of Revelation. Verse 21. For this re- some of you know what I'm talking about. For this reason, says Paul, because I keep banging out the gospel, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, King Agrippa. To this day, verse 22, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer. See, this is what they didn't understand, that is the Jewish leaders. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now, what is interesting is how they don't respond they don't say at this point get rid of this imbecile and bring on the dancers remember where we are they don't do that they don't say DJ come with the vibes cartel selection <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you seen that video look on me tattoo look on me tattoo <laughs> me tattoo them look like a coloring book you ever, my daughter was, I haven't even seen it. My daughter told me about that. Vibes Cartel. <laughs> it's a genuine song. They don't do that. They, Agrippa and Festus, they don't say... They, they don't say, and for our next performance, we're going to bring out Rihanna. Notice what they don't say. Now, listen to their response. Verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, you know, not just said it. He said it with a loud voice. Paul, you're out of your mind. I mean, you know what? Paul's got this bread. When I tell you, he's got him. Paul went in. And all of them appearing in as Paul goes in. I mean, he's got my man. And my man's like, Paul! You're out of your mind. This great learning is driving you out of your mind, Paul. You're mad. But Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. He's talking to Festus, but he's he's talking to the king. He says, I ain't out of my mind. He says, the king knows. The king done know. He's saying. And to him I speak boldly. See, when you believe something, you speak it boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice 
For this has not been done in a corner. He knows. And then he turns to King Agrippa, doesn't he? Verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. <laughs> he didn't even have to respond. He probably just looked down or I don't know. But Paul knows that he knows. And now Festus knows that Agrippa knows. He says, I know that you, I know that you believe. And Agrippa then says to Paul, huh, what, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's, a, Paul's, a, Paul's got lyrics. A lie? Paul's got bars. The amazing thing, check it, is... is is that they respond to Paul. They respond to the message. And not just one of them, both of them. And not just one of them, but both of them. And the two most important, prestigious guests at the banquet. You would expect Paul's done his big oration, right, with his hand up and he's doing his thing. No one ain't interested. And maybe someone as they're walking out, as they're walking Paul out in chains, might say, Paul... What you said was heavy, bro. Can I hear a little bit more about what you've got to say? No. It's the, most it's the two most important people in the place. And then, I mean, if that ain't enough, and then they determine to call it a night. I mean, they leave the party early. Verse 30. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, boy, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Now, you would think that they'd have something more important to talk about. I mean, these are important officials of state. This would be like, this would be like Mr. Cameron and, 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 and Mr. Obama. You ain't got nothing better to talk about. Fam, you got a whole heap that you lot need to be talking about right about now. Chatting about Libya, you can talk about Japan and what's going on over there. You lot got a lot to be talking about, you lot are chatting about this little insignificant brother with this insignificant quote-unquote message. I mean, they walk out early still talking about Paul. Wow, this message, like we said a couple of weeks ago, is what? It's unstoppable. Paul is unstoppable. He's such a faithful witness. Completely unfazed by what? Completely unfazed by the trial of multiple trials. Hopefully, for just that hour, we went somewhere and you completely forgot about your trials. Maybe it was like watching a film for an hour. But guess what? This ain't like watching a film. This is reality. And hopefully this, this afternoon, God has given you something that will enable you to enjoy your trials. Remember I said at the beginning, it might not be that the trials will be, Lord, please take away these trials. Maybe the Lord ain't going to take them away. But he will give you grace 
that will enable you to bear up underneath that trial. And I tell you, that's powerful. When, you, when someone stands up and sees you going through something that, would, that somebody else would normally buckle under, commit suicide over, and they see you, it's like as we stand up and we look at Paul, we're like, Paul, you ain't for, are you for real? Look at you. Bruv, let me remind you of the drama that you're in. you got brothers outside want to kill you. Like, two years, these brothers are still after you. And imagine, check the amazing power of God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's sovereignty for, and, and man's responsibility, right? And we said sometimes God organ, orchestrates circumstances that you can't control. But in the midst of it, you now have to respond, right? Look at these brothers, how they're responding. They're sinful, they love money, they're men, they're men pleasers. What, bring them to Jerusalem? All right, I'll do your favor. Yeah, I'll sort it out. That's, how, that's what they're like, right? But in the midst of it, God is fulfilling his purpose. Like, God is going to get Paul, where? To Rome. Now, check it. If the Romans released Paul, guess what would happen to Paul? He'd get killed. I mean, I couldn't paint the picture any clearer. The Jews are going to kill him. But based on the fact that even in spite of these Roman officials, these, the, the king of, uh, of Judea, Agrippa, they make their decisions. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And in the midst of it, God is still fulfilling his purpose and he's protecting Paul. You, you might be in a situation, you're going through a trial, and you'll be like, I hate this. God, why are you doing this to me? I thought you were supposed to love me. And you're saying that. You don't realize God be like, you have no idea. I'm actually protecting you while you're in the middle of what may seem like a trial to you. Why? Because I'm going to get you from Jerusalem to Rome. I'm going to get you from that place where you are in order to fulfill my purpose. Is that all right? See, if you ain't got Paul's perspective, it's not all right. And you'd be here and you'd be like, man, this Christian thing. I thought if I become a Christian, my life is going to get better. And it ain't, so now you want to leave. But that's the response of a blind man. An individual that can see, a woman that can see, will be able to say, shh, Lord. It don't, it's not denying the pain. Lord, this is painful. And it's not being masochistic. We don't like the pain. I don't like the pain. Just for the record. But we may go through it. But isn't God fulfilling his purpose more important than my pain? Now, you can't say that anywhere and get away with it. But isn't, isn't it more important that God fulfills his purpose even though I might be going through pain? If you can't say yes to that, Hopefully God has contributed to some degree to opening your eyes. You may not do anything yet, but I hope that the Lord will open your eyes so at least you can see it. At least you, can, you might not say, oh, wow, I see it. Let's do it. Mm -mm. But hopefully you're in a place where you see it. And then we can begin the process in prayer on our knees, on our face by saying, Lord, help me. Help me to endure this, Lord. Help me to go through this, Lord. And help me to be able to take not just a trial, but a trial of multiple trials. As believers, do we not draw encouragement from Paul's 
faithful life. Never complaining, never selfish, always focused on the message and the mission, despite his circumstances. In this 26th chapter, Paul mentions hope three times and ten times in the book of Acts. And it's clear that this hope is only found in Jesus. Is it clear to you, or are you blind? Shall we pray? It's about a good time to pray in it. Father, we praise you because you are our Father. It's so wonderful to know that Jesus has given us a pattern to pray and the first part of the prayer is remember that God is your Father. And we do remember that this afternoon that you are our Father and you're our Heavenly Father. You're exalted. Your name is holy. It's to be hallowed. You're special. You're distinct and you're separate from your creation. Yet you're one with your creation. You love your creation. That is man. Sinful man at that. And because we know that you love us, immediately that helps us. And Father in heaven, my prayer is for, is for myself and my brothers and sisters, regardless at what age they're at. Lord, that you would open our eyes to your commission. Thank you that You've brought us into your family. We've been adopted. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Further open our eyes to this kingdom that we're a part of and to the king that we serve and the fact that we're subjects. Lord, help us when you say jump. Help help us to say how high, like Paul. Help us to be focused on the gospel in our lives and also in the lives of others who desperately need it. And that's part of the reason why we're here today, Lord, because maybe someone has walked in, walked into our fellowship with you, walked into one of our kingdom meetings, walked in to us banqueting, us feasting on that which builds us up spiritually. And they've walked in, Lord, and they're like, what is, I don't even know what's going on here. Yet, Lord, could it be that they might walk out talking about the things that they've seen today? Could it be, Lord, that like Festus, as important as he was, as, and Agrippa, as, a, as important as they were, you got their attention, Lord, through the message. Lord, could it be that you've got someone's attention today? Pray that you have, Father, because if you have, that means that they're on that journey to having their eyes opened. And I pray that they'd, Lord, be over a process of time, Lord, whether it be immediately now or over the course of this week or maybe even the course of the year, like it was with me, Lord. I longed it out. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to get off the bus. I pray that you help them to see it again in the wrong direction and they do it quickly because it makes the journey back longer. Father, I commit these things to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, for his sake and for the sake of his kingdom, which is now our kingdom, and for the sake of the gospel. 